And we are back. Welcome, everyone, to the Everyday Musician Podcast. This is episode 26, the first episode of season two. Welcome to the Everyday Musician Podcast, hosted by Eric Mergala, a podcast where he has conversations with everyday musicians doing amazing things. Here's your host, Eric. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Everyday Musician Podcast. My name is Eric Murgala, and I would like to welcome you to the first episode of Season 2. And I'm really looking forward to going on this journey with you all. Uh, For those of you who are back, welcome again. And for the people who are just coming across this podcast, um, we're glad for you to be here. I have over the phone Cody Hiller, who is a violinist based in New York. Hey, Eric. How are you? How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you. And uh, to reconnect, of course, we we met a few years back at a music festival. But for the people who are not familiar with what you do and who you are, can you just tell us your backstory? Sure. So um, I did my uh, I went to undergrad at Baldwin Walls Conservatory out to uh, Cleveland. And from there, I went on to do my master's at DePaul School of Music in Chicago, and uh, I ended up moving back to western New York, uh, near, uh, probably south of Buffalo, and uh, and I've just been kind of getting myself established and working as a musician all over western New York and Pennsylvania. You're originally from New York. Are you originally from the Buffalo area? Yeah, I'm originally from, actually, a really small town south of Buffalo called Frewsburg. It's a little hamlet in the woods, <laughs> like around a thousand people. <laughs> so really small, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I hope to actually touch on that topic. You know, you're a musician in a very small town. Um, hopefully, mm-hmm. throughout the interview, we can touch uh, base on that. But um, in addition, why don't you tell us about some of your musical engagements at the moment since you moved back to Buffalo? Sure. So I'm involved with quite a few different things. I think one of the things I found uh, living in a smaller area. I, I drive a lot, you know, and I cover quite a big distance for, uh, for my business. I'm involved with many different things instead of just one main job. So what I'm doing right now, I'm, uh, the concert master of kind of a pop sort. Uh, it's been really fun down, uh, just into Pennsylvania in the town of Warren. It's called the Warren Philharmonic. And uh, I'm also um, assistant concertmaster of a symphony based out of Olean and Bradford, New York. Uh, sorry, Olean, New York, Bradford, Pennsylvania. They kind of cover those two towns, and they're called the Southern Tier Symphony. And it's kind of more um, large-scale symphonies, but kind of the classics. Tchaikovsky, Brahms. We actually just closed our season with Brahms Four, which was one of my favorite pieces. Um, but very exciting, you know, kind of a larger orchestra. So um, you said it's one of your favorite pieces. So this, yeah, tell the audience um, why Brahms, in particular, that symphony is um, one of one of the top on your list. Well, I think probably several reasons. Um, Brahms has always been. I grew up listening to Brahms, so I have that kind of nostalgia. First of all, and I think that's tends to be you know as far as the classics go. Um, you know, the ones that I remember from my childhood tend to be at the forefront. Um, but it's just, it's such a violin heavy piece. You know, I think, um, both violin parts of the first violin and second violin are equal and same with the viola and cello. So you're almost like, it's like a big 
string quartet happening on stage, you know, just the involvement of the string parts. Yeah, so Brahms certainly is a very violent, heavy piece, and you're absolutely right when it comes to to the chamber music that's happening on stage. It's like a really large string quartet, and every single part is a soloistic part, I would say, in that mm-hmm. symphony. And I would say that Brahms 4 is one of my favorite symphonies as well. So, Cody, I want to touch base on what you said a little earlier yeah, you specifically said business. And can you just talk to us about the ins and outs of your music business? Sure. So I kind of divide what I do into, like, I guess, two categories, my teaching and my performing. And I think that's probably pretty typical for most uh, musicians. How did you get started on the violin? Like, how old were you and what, how, did, um, how was music introduced in your life? Well, my mother is a, uh, a mezzo-soprano who's always taught voice lessons. There was a studio in our house growing up, and I also I just grew up listening to classical music. Uh, her father, my, my grandpa, was a he, you know amateur piano player, uh, but he loved piano music, Chopin and Debussy, you know. And so my mom grew up listening to that, and he would play some of that on piano. So was, there was kind of that family line of of classical music. Um, the really big, I guess, turning point for me happened when I was three. I was watching uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and Hitchcock yes. Perlman was on. Yeah, <laughs> and I was just, um, I was just so inspired. I asked uh, my parents for lessons right after that, and didn't stop for two years. So when I was five, uh, my parents got me my first instrument and my first violin lessons, and. I've uh, made them promise later that year that they wouldn't let me give up that I wanted to be a professional. So (laughs) the rest is kind of (laughs) history. So this was the violin was your choice. It wasn't your parents choice. Your parents supported you every step of the way. But after watching the Mr. Rogers neighborhood and watching it's like on TV, that was like the deciding moment where you wanted to try playing the violin, right? That's correct. Yeah. 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 And um, of course, that's a different situation for me. Like I was a different case where my mother was a pianist and she um, she kind of just I was three years old and she's like, "Okay, you're going to be playing the violin. Right. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) so it's like she she also has a music education background that, you know, it was for me, like I started realizing how much I actually did enjoy it. And that's why I wanted to continue with it with like Mr. Rogers Neighborhood and then, you know, having you know, access to TV and watching music on TV just really is inspiring. Yeah, so I do want to talk about um, the kind of music that you do like to perform. So out of all these groups say, in upstate New York, what kind of music interests you? Are you solely based um, in the belief that you just want to play classical? Or you mentioned you did say you're going to, you're performing pop music. So what, what are some of your favorite genres to perform? Well, um, I think I'm usually happy... Uh, no matter what I'm doing. I know that's not a great answer to that question, but I uh, I love new music. Uh, contemporary classical music has been really fun for me. I guess uh, when I was in Chicago, I mean, you're from Chicago too, so you, you know that there's a, such a healthy new music scene happening. There are lots of composers, and that was just one of the best times of my life so far as far as my music career is uh, being in Chicago, playing, premiering all these new works. And that, that was really exciting for me, and that that's, uh, stuck with me after grad school. 
I try to play as much new music as I can. Um, I don't have total control over the orchestras, but like when I do recitals, uh, when I program for the string quartet I'm in, I try to choose 20th century and contemporary music at least to mix in there. I do love playing. Uh, I've gotten into French music recently, too. I realized I was playing so much German music, and I do love German music. Of course, we talked about Brahms being my, you know, Brahms 4 being one of my favorite pieces. But I was only playing German music, and just out of nowhere, I, I started kind of playing a couple French pieces. I did the WC Sonata and the Franck Sonata, and just kind of like exploring some French music, and I realized how much fun that was and how refreshing it was to get something a little different on my plate. So I've been trying to like play a bunch of French music recently, too. Um, uh, and then out of the groups I'm in, uh, I really enjoy all of them. You know, the, the Warren Phils, you know, they do a pops program, you know, and that's really fun. It's it's a little more laid back, and but just a, it's all about having fun at that point, you know. And um, Southern Tier Symphony, of course, is playing all the big symphonies. The Western Chamber Orchestra is playing, uh, you know, the uh, Haydn and Mozart uh, symphonies. And I think what's fun with that is I've recently gotten to do a lot of requiems and masses. You know, we collaborate with Fredonia um, State University's choir quite a bit, and that's been really fun to do. And the conductor for that, Glenn Cortez, is also a composer. And um, we've premiered a couple of his works recently since I joined the orchestra. And that's been, uh, that kind of caters to my uh, new music side. So that was fun. Recently, in fact, I think I, uh, I w when we were talking about doing this interview, I was in the middle of doing a musical show. Uh, it was the last five years. And the music from that, I had a riot playing because it was all kind of this classic rock and blues feel. I mean, I guess not all of it. It has some really touching moments, too. It's not all just raucous party music. But it had a lot of these kind of blues and hues and rock and roll uh, numbers in it. And that was a ton of fun to play that, you know, just way out of the norm. And when I was, I haven't done this recently, but when I was younger, I played, uh, I'd actually, I did a violin in a metal band for a while, and I picked up a country band gig. Oh, that's right. I think, I think I do remember this, that you were part of some, uh, you were like a band and you were violinist in this band when we first met. Yeah. yeah that was, that was interesting. Yeah. So I, I'm. Yeah, probably not a great answer to the question, but I, I really enjoy playing. I could play any genre and, and have fun doing it, you know. Um, as long as so. you're, <laughs> as long you're, as long as you're holding your violin, you're a happy man. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm the exact same way. Um, that's, that's a brilliant. That's actually a very good answer because, as musicians, we have to create diversification for the kinds of music that we're playing. Um, we can't just solely be a classical musician anymore. I think that's um, that's becoming a trend, you know, as we're 20 years into the 21st century, like that's this is actually we're approaching a time where we're going to start creating new ideas and new genres, because if you, if you look at history, that's kind of what's going on for like in the late teens and early 20s. That's where things kind of start really pushing forward and what the century is going to look like. And um yeah, new music is the future. We, um, I just attended a, a music festival in Chicago, around the Chicagoland area. Um, well, not so much Chicago. It's in Kenosha, just an hour north of Chicago, called the Freshing Festival. And they were 
promoting new music and we were able to work with living composers. And as a matter of fact, for the people who are listening in for the first time, I will be interviewing some of those composers in the second season. So you definitely want to hit the subscribe button and get to know these amazing living composers. And I don't know about you, Cody, but this working with living composers is so refreshing because if you have a question or you have a musical idea and you want to collaborate, the composer is right there. You could either call them or if they're in the rehearsal room, you can just ask them the question for yourself to really get to know how they envision or how they want the piece to sound. Yeah, I agree with that totally. And I uh, I think that's one of the things that make it so special is not only are you getting just such fresh ideas in front of you, you know, music that has never been played before the audience has no predisposed like you know expectations for this performance because it's brand new but you can also you get insight into that music that you wish you could get with beethoven brahms you know all those all the classic composers you know you just easily you could do your best you can read books about it you can do research but you can never get the same insight into that music that you can get with a living composer that you can just talk to and can hear your you know, rehearsal and give you feedback. It's, it's an amazing experience. It's such a cool, it's a collaboration on a new level. You know, it's, you're collaborating with the musicians, but you have the composer over there too. And it's just a wonderful experience to do that. Yeah. So let me ask you this. How has, how have these collaborations um, shaped you as a musician in terms of living composers? I think it gives a new perspective on, on music and what I'm performing. It's, you know, and, and I, this might sound weird, and <laughs> but what it's done for me, when I work with a, a living composer and I, I get to see why they compose that piece and their thoughts behind it, for right or wrong, I, I can't help but um, when I play them the classics, I, I kind of like think, could this composer, you know, even though we're living in an entirely different era, 100 years later, could this composer have been feeling those same things? And if so... How does that perspective reflect on in this music? And I think that's been one big thing is just making me feel a little bit more connected with the classics, even though I have no way of being like one was thinking the same thing when he wrote you know, that sonata or whatever. You of know? course, yeah, because we're clearly living in different times now. So mm-hmm. Because I feel like with, with new music now, you're getting so many new uh, cultures mixed in with the music. You're not getting... Um, well, I mean, if you if you look at like 19th century music, everybody was composing within the same grain. And moving into the 20th century, you saw the counter movement, right, where um, French composers, you know, kind of didn't want to sound like the German composers. They wanted their own sound, you know. That's right. Um, you, you see the rise of the Czech composers. You know, they're having their own national uh, compositional style. And I feel like today you get so many cool cultures mixed into our music you have very unique styles yeah i don't want to get on a tangent i feel like i I have rambled quite a bit (laughs) oh don't 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 worry about it absolutely but what what you're saying is absolutely right i feel like i don't get the same experience with the with the dead composer compared to a, a living composer just what inspired me and my colleagues at the festival was just that you have that collaboration and um, just briefly talk about Brahms and Joachim, right? They were collaborators. If 
Brahms wrote something, Joachim thought that something wasn't violinistic with the Brahms Violin Concerto, then he would tell that to Brahms. But like, okay, this is possible. This is not possible. So um, that instant collaboration that you get with the living composer is just, it's just an amazing experience. And uh, for musicians who are not entirely familiar with new music or working with living composers, and I encourage you to seek out composers who might want to write for you. you. You never know. And it could be like a collaboration that may last a lifetime. Some of my memorable experiences are with living composers and working with um, working with contemporary classical music. What are some of the things or some of the experiences that you found most memorable in your performance experience? Or can you uh, can you describe a performance where you left the concert hall saying, "Yeah, I'm I'm in the right field. I'm in the right profession that I keep doing this for this reason." Yeah, I think for me, the most memorable concerts have always been when I've made definite connection with the audience. And, you know, I made that connection while also having a personal connection with with the music, if that makes sense. So I connected with the music and through that, even though I was having my own experience with the music, the audience also, you know, connected with that. And so I think I performed... One of the most okay, so one of the most memorable recent uh, concerts, I uh, performed the Franck and Debussy sonatas on the same program, and I think that program's probably been done quite a bit. Those two get paired often; they work so well with each other, you know. And you can't—it's almost like you, you can't help but pair those. You know, it was kind of inspired by uh, Anne Sophie Muter performing that program. I was collaborating with a pianist, um, Joan Amy, who I met. Um, in the Pennsylvania area where I'm at. And I think um, the Franck Sonata, it has such a um, touching slow movement. It's just so touching. It's definitely worth listening to. And coming out of that into the last movement is just, you know, it's spiritually so fulfilling. And we closed the program with with the Franck, and I uh, I just felt, that fulfillment, you know, all through that last movement. And when I got done, the audience just really enjoyed the music. And a lot of them had never heard the Franck Sonata before, but came up to me with, you know, tears in their eyes saying that, you know, that music was just so spiritually fulfilling, you know, basically just that. And, and it made me like, that was just memorable because I just, I know that they connected with the same music that I was connecting with, you know, nothing, it had nothing to do with my, my violin performing, it was all about the music and connecting through that piece. Um, and, and you actually bring up a very interesting point for, for the musicians listening to the podcast, that the audience who, the, the people who come to concerts, they're there for the music. They're not there to judge us about our technique, right? I feel like as musicians, we're so self-conscious about, oh, we need to get every single little detail right because this music has been performed so frequently throughout the past hundred or so years. When you overthink it, then you really don't get to the core of um, the music that you believe in and that inspires you. And that will translate to the audience and they're really going to catch up on that. So you bring up excellent points here. Thanks. Yeah. So the, uh, I got to say the most memorable experience with new music though, like, I mean, you've already hit on that is the times that the composer was there 
for, you see the genesis of the music from like start to you know from the first rehearsal to the concert seeing the uh, ideas evolve with under the guidance of that composer those have always been you know that's what keeps me going in new music you know is that's that's what makes that such a joy for me cody thanks so much for coming on to the everyday musician podcast and um you ex- you are exactly uh, the kind of person that i do like to interview because you're just doing every you're just an everyday person, you know, you're an everyday musician, really doing incredible things in your community, you teach, you perform, you're collaborating with living composers, you're working in different genres. I look up to you in many ways, in the in the kind of hustle that you're that and the kind of opportunities you're creating for yourself. So um, this is exactly why I do this interview to just talk to people like you. And I just want to thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate that so much. And I appreciate you having me on your show. This was a really fun opportunity for me, and I'm I'm glad that you asked me to do this. Absolutely, Cody. And for people who want to learn more about you, how can people uh, get a hold of you? Sure. So um, I have a website, uh, www.codyhillerviolinist.com. And if you go to my website, there is a link where you can sign up for my newsletter. Um, And I, I... at least do my best to send out monthly newsletters highlighting. I try to highlight, you know, the, the groups I'm involved with, the concerts I'm involved with, but also highlight what's happening in, in, uh, the area, you know, Western New York, Western Pennsylvania. So I kind of, you get the whole, the whole shebang. <laughs> Absolutely. That's fantastic. So www.codyhillerviolinist.com. And of course, I'm going to put a link in the podcast description so that way people can just have easy access to your um, to your web page. Are you also on social media as well? Yep. I currently have a uh, Facebook page, codyhiller.violinist. But if you look up the... As a username, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. I'll add all that information into the podcast description. So no worries there. Uh, Cody, thanks again. And we'll talk to you real soon. Hey, thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us on the Everyday Musician Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast platforms. Music was composed by Ionix Music. Special thanks to Cody Hiller for coming on to the podcast. I'm your host, Eric Mongala, and thank you so much for listening in. It would mean the world to me if you could share and subscribe. Join me next week for another episode of the Everyday Musician Podcast.